0: That's right. Yes, if you are tuned in, then you have now positioned yourself to become undeniable in your pursuit of personal, professional, and spiritual excellence. Now, I hope that you are pursuing excellence, but if you are not making an impact with your life, then you have come to the right place today. Welcome to this introspective episode of Become Undeniable. I am your new favorite host, Brad Austin. Killing it on the mic, and as always, keeping it real no matter whose feelings it hurts, while providing undeniable value to you every step of the way. Now we've we've all done it, right? As someone who used to live in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area, I mean we've we've all driven by and we've seen those people. We've seen those people in the tents we've seen people asking for money, we've seen those people and immediately have come to some sort of conclusion in our own minds. How'd they get there? Who are they? What happened? Are they really homeless? Are they just, who, what, what happened, right? I will be the first to publicly admit here that I've been skeptical of whether or not they were truly homeless, whether they were truly in need, I've, I have, I've judged people wrongly. I have, I have done what all of us have done. And, and if we're willing to admit it, then that's actually the first step. And, and I'm so glad that my guest is here today to really get into the problem. That is, that seems to not be going away anytime soon. Unfortunately, she is the founder and CEO of D Square at homes for the homeless. In chandler arizona she is also a mental health advocate her name is wante Daly. she is doing god's work i'm here to tell you and i want to welcome her to the show wante how are you today
1: i'm great thanks for having me here i'm excited to share my testimony
0: i am too um really and truly we've already had a, a discussion previously and i've already learned a lot from you and so mm-hmm. i am grateful that not only that you are here on the show i'm grateful to have met you Um, I'm grateful to be building a friendship with you and I'm grateful for what you have taught me already in this space. And so I appreciate the work that you do and I'm looking forward to really informing other people about what's really going on because you're on the front lines. You see it, Mm -hmm. you know what's going on. You've talked to these people, you've helped these people, you have, man, like I said, you really are doing God's work and may God bless you for that. And so let's start off. Let's, if you would please Wante, tell us, um, tell us the story of how you became an advocate for those suffering with mental illness.
1: So mental illness actually runs in my family. And I didn't know that. Um, And when I was growing up, I had a lot of cousins who I thought were just drug addicts, right? So, Hmm. you know, kind of spaced out and yeah, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was really just drug use. Um, And then fast forward to 2009, my son had his psychotic break. Um, So my son has schizophrenia. And at the time, the doctors told me that he would never work again. And if he did, he would probably only be able to maintain 20 hours per week. He was only 20 years old. So my immediate thought was, how can I financially care for my son for the rest of his life? Cause I wasn't an executive. You know, I didn't make that kind of money to do that. Um, but went through the court process, he was denied disability. Um, because even though you have a diagnosis, the state can determine if you're eligible for financial support. So they said, you know, as long as he can push a broom, uh, he can work. Mm, so, right. um, That happened. And then three years later, my son was working full time. He had his own apartment, his own car. He was a mental health counselor. And I will say that my faith in God was restored because this is the exact opposite of what the doctors told me. So that, first of all, let me know that God has the final say. Um, Fast forward six years, he's doing well. He lapsed into homelessness. Um, And even with his diagnosis, which is paranoid schizophrenia, um, we were denied temporary shelter over a $40 income shortfall. So he had just started receiving unemployment because he had been working full time, like, you know, many people. Um, And he was denied because his check was $960. It should have been a thousand dollars. And when I asked about, um, can I supplement that? Because he wouldn't have been staying for free. It would have been me paying for that temporary assistance. Um, they said, no, because I'm not the client. And at that time, I felt mm. really defeated and deflated. And I've never felt like that before. I've always had to work like three, four times harder than anybody else to get um, things just because I don't have the background. A lot of people have education level, or whatever. Um, But And I've always gotten those things that I've worked extra for. But this time, I didn't. My son lived in that park, in the park in Arizona for one year while I fought for him. Um, During that time, for the first three months, I was just kind of feeling helpless. I didn't know what to do because I called everybody there is to call. And then I remember thinking that when we applied for shelter, it was a private company Right. And at first I was mad. And then I thought about it. and I was like, you know, it's a private organization. They can do whatever they want to do. So guess what I need to do? I need to start my own private organization so that I can mm-hmm. help people. And so I decided to start uh, D-Squared Homes for the Homeless. The um, initial um, goal was to help those with an SMI diagnosis, which is serious mental illness, people mm-hmm. with depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, to help them with uh, rent when they have a temporary setback. Because what I realize is in the mental health system, like the goal is to always have them become independent, independent, sorry. So as yeah. the family members, that's our goal is to help them become independent. But what happens is that independence becomes a liability, right? So then they're not eligible for these things, same resources, because they're working just like you and I. Um, so it's almost like you either stay on the system and not do anything or you work and you lose your benefits. Um, right. So I decided I'm going to help um, prevent homelessness for the SMI population, change my family tree, uh, address the stigma at the same time and also share with families the importance of um, kind of not having those family secrets. So I didn't know mental illness ran in my family. So that impacted us negatively. So um, my goal was also to teach families how those family secrets and keeping them impacts future generations. Um, So really everything came from my family history of mental illness and then my son's experience uh, living in the park and which opened my eyes to the homeless uh, population. Um, And then I decided to add helping the homeless population getting into housing when they receive it through their case manager. And we do hygiene bags. So really personal experiences. The reason I started this and God said, and when God says, then you do.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, okay. so let me help me understand, because it's it sounds like it sounds like your son was I mean, he was working. I mean, he mm-hmm. had, he was a productive member of society. Yep. He was living a normal life, for, you know, yep. with the exception of, of his illness, etc. Yep. How, I mean, because, and again, I'll admit, I, I'm, I'm, i totally admit that I don't bridge the gap there, right? So yep. how, regular guy, working, paying, you know, paying his bills, everything else. How does he go from, from that status to becoming homeless?
1: So relationship, toxic relationship. Um, He was um, living with someone. She did not know he had a mental health challenge. And so she lived with him for three years. And when she found out by reading his um, paper that he had wrote for his psychology class, um, she felt some sort of way and decided to make his life miserable. So she stalked him. And he lost his job and she stalked me as well and i can tell you that a toxic relationship a lot of people experience that and that's Mm -hmm. one way people become homeless because if you claim someone beat you or something like that as a woman then they're going to put that man out of the home and so that's what happened to my son so she filed a false police report And um, that's how he ended up losing his place, everything he worked for, and it was his place. So he already gotten his life back on track and was in college and like just everything was going well and he lost everything over a relationship. Um, I will tell you that from talking to people in the park, other people have become homeless. I met a, um, a mom And her daughter, they lived in the park. The daughter was 18. They became homeless because the husband died. So she's a widow. She couldn't afford the house note, right? So she lost the home. Where are you going to go? There's no housing support. Met another man working while living in the park. He um, had a roommate and the roommate died. So he couldn't afford to pay the rent. So this man is working while living in the park. So these stories of just how people became homeless um, actually challenged my own thoughts and the stigmas that I also had because I really didn't pay any attention to the homeless population before I started my nonprofit. Like, and that's like when I was 50. So I'm going all this time and I always assumed a bad decision is what got them there. But then when I'm in it and then I see my own son and I know his story, he couldn't Mm -hmm. be the only one that ended up homeless be through no fault of his own, and COVID has proven that, right? Because right, a lot of yeah. people lost their jobs because of COVID, and I'm seeing a lot of families now that are homeless and working and living from their car because they couldn't afford to keep, you know. Well, they didn't have a job, and it wasn't yeah. anything that they did wrong. So it's a lot of people that's homeless, be through no fault of their own.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, how? I mean, again, so who as someone who has heard. Many of these stories, I mean, like, I, I don't think I don't think we realize how fragile things are. I don't think we realize how how so many of us, I mean, probably most of us. Right. Because we, we most of us are not insulated. We're not extremely wealthy, etc. cetera. Right. Right. So, I mean, just how one say how close are Give people some perspective on how close people actually are, how all of us are actually so close to experiencing something like like the people you serve.
1: So I feel like, um, and this is the reason I started helping the homeless population as well, I feel like everybody is one financial crisis away from homelessness. I mean, you know, even if it's possible with the wealthy, but like the average person, because you think about it, COVID, look how many people lost their jobs, right? So and then um, I know in Arizona this year, um, we had a rental spike where rent jumped six, seven hundred bucks at one time. So a lot of and I don't know if that was across different states, but it happened in Arizona. So a Mm -hmm. lot of people lost their housing. Um, I'm from California and we have rent control, but we don't have it here in Arizona. So rent spiked like six, seven hundred dollars at one time. And so I know several people that that happened to, and they couldn't afford to pay the rent. So I think, especially with what's happening in the economy and the way the world is going today, I think a lot of people are because, and I also feel like coming in, um, what, January, there's a lot of talk about a recession, not by the government, because they don't think that there's going to be one. Yeah, of course. Um, But, you know, we're kind of already in one when you're looking at gas and people are going to be losing their jobs. So if you think about that, that just lets you know, and it's already been proven since COVID, how many people have lost their jobs.
0: Yeah, inflation, all that mm-hmm. stuff you're talking about. And and yep. you you must do what is my, can you just read my mind or something? Because you kind of went into the second question before I ever got to it. Um, but I, I just, what are some other reasons that people become homeless, right? That you have spoken to? Again, I, I, financial stuff, but are there other reasons that, um, I just, again, I I don't know why, but I feel this need to educate people through you on these reasons. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? For, I just, I just, perspective is everything. Context is everything. And so I just, I, I'm, I really want to try to chip away at that stigma that you mentioned earlier in this, in this episode. And I'm hoping that we can do that together. So um, what are other reasons that you've heard of of through people's stories of why they're there well, in the park or how they became homeless?
1: So um, I actually was actually speaking to someone, um, one of my church sisters this morning, and she has a um, business where she matches renters with homeowners. Um, so it's kind of like the dating scene, but she does a background check and all that. And I've used her services and rented out to um, like travel nurses and things like that. And so she was telling me that it's um, right now people are um, she's having to evict people because they can't pay. But it's based on um, like recession and people losing hours at work. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're no longer full time um, because the economy is already being impacted. I know people who have gotten laid off. So really for me, it's usually everybody I've spoken to, it's either relationship um, or work situation uh, or um, the spouse, loss of spouse, right? So the woman I met that was the widow, she lost her husband. Um, relationship, two people, one is not working. So what happens when that other person um, leaves who you know has that income coming in and you're left and you don't have the income. It's basically those things. And I know um, a lot of people assume that it's always mental illness, but it is Mm -hmm. not uh, always mental illness. The other thing that I've learned, um, I I feel like people that I've met, if they didn't have a mental illness when they became homeless, then you're gonna get one (laughs) from living outside with no hope, at all because there's nobody helping for the majority of the part there's nobody helping these people and there is no hope and when you what's that um bible verse where hope deferred makes a man sick you know so you have nothing to look forward to but all you see is this living outside for the rest of your life you're trying to reach out for help nobody's helping you so um those are really the main things um so that's why i said like everybody's generally a crisis away. Now, some people, you know, again, you know, mental health uh, challenges is possible, but that's not the majority of the people that I've met that were homeless.
0: Wow. So what is, okay. So again, I, I used to live in the Seattle area and and I, you know, you've seen the exposes, you've seen all this stuff. And, and you know, I think in the back of our minds, we, we think that we assume that a a percentage of the population that are homeless or asking for money or whatever, that they're really not really homeless. They just don't want Mm -hmm. to work. They don't want to pay Mm -hmm. taxes. They don't want to do all that stuff right now. I I don't, I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you I'm uneducated in this arena. I don't know what that percentage is, but I mean, Mm -hmm. do you happen to have an idea of the people who are actually on hard times versus the people who are just you know what? They they don't want to live by the rules. They don't want to pay taxes and all that kind of stuff. And they're choosing to live that life. Are you have there's to know?
1: no way um, for me to know that. Um, I,
0: know, I don't do
1: any type of research in that area. Um, but I can tell you, um, every year there's this survey called the Point in Time Count. And that is where the states go out and try to count how many homeless people are in their area. And I believe, I do look at that. And I believe in Arizona, we had over 7,000 at the last uh, point in time. Now, when it comes to how many people are work, you know, really homeless, not homeless, I don't, um, like, that's not even important to me which is what I've learned, because in my view, we all know the answer to homelessness. And so what I focus on is helping those who I can, who are homeless, get back on their feet, help with rental assistance. Like I don't even go to those meetings where they say, come on and give us your opinion. You know, the states have those, come on, we want to hear from you, blah, blah, blah. Well, you really don't want to hear from me. Right. Because if you really wanted to fix the homeless crisis, then we could. And there are states that have done that and have come up with plans that's assisting. But there's no um, I want to say there's no benefit to fixing that, because if you fix that, a lot of the nonprofits won't get that funding. Right. So what's going to happen if we don't have all these people living outdoors and all that? So I don't know the population. But I will tell you that the people that I met, and it's a lot of them, because my son lived in that park for a year and I'm still um, serving in the homeless community. These are people that are real, really homeless. Like you see them um, living on the streets. One of the um, things you can research in Arizona is what's called the Human Service Campus. It is in Phoenix, in downtown Phoenix. And there's about, last count, about 1,200 people living outside down on the human service campus. Um, And then there's probably like seven or eight nonprofits within that area. And so they live outside around this um, property. And the reason they live, a lot of them live there is because the nonprofits will help them with food. They can go indoors and take a shower, that kind of thing. So they have those type of resources. So when you look at that, you will see these people living outside in their tents. I mean, there's no way to not to not see it and believe these people, you know, are working. Um, Someone did ask me before, because most of my funding comes from private individuals and not grants. And somebody did ask me, well, how do you know that person is really homeless? And you know what? I finally decided that it really doesn't matter, because if you're standing outside begging for something, you need some help in some way, and I'm giving you a bag, I'm not giving you a, um, you know, money because I don't right. do money, but if you're standing out there, you need help in some way, and therefore it is not me to judge you. That's just the way that I see things. So I don't even focus on the count uh, that I focus on helping people and meeting them where they are today. And that's it.
0: Yeah. Now you've got a kind heart. You've got a, you've you've got a great heart to serve people. And and I love that about you. I wish there were more people like you.
1: (laughs) You know, I, you know, and I'm going to have to be honest with you. I wasn't like this before I, before my son was homeless, Mm. right? I didn't pay attention to the homeless community. I had the same stigma. I don't, I don't know that they're really homeless. I'm not going to give them any money because they're probably going to go to the drugstore. You know, I'm going to buy drugs, buy alcohol. That was me until I was 50 and my own child lived in that park. So that's what it took to change me talking to those. Because how many times do you have a conversation with somebody that's homeless? In general, you don't. Right. But no. my son living in that park gave me that opportunity. And then I knew my son's situation. And I'm like, he can't be the only one that ended up homeless because of a relationship. How many people are in toxic relationships now you know battered you know wives and um domestic violence it's a lot of that and i've helped a couple of domestic violence uh, women get into temporary housing so i mean it's very common
0: yeah that's a that is a that is a tough situation um so you said something a while ago and um I'd like to like to see if you can expand on a little bit, because you said that you didn't you didn't know. I mean, I assume you and your son are pretty close. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, you're you said you didn't know in the beginning or for a while, for a year, maybe that that he was suffering with his with his condition. And Mm -hmm. so I know you said something before about the the secrecy of it all. Right. Yeah. Can, can you go into that a little bit? Because again, mm-hmm. I in, and I understand like, I, but I mean, in this day and age, you know, we've, we've learned so much, right. Mm-hmm. That, that I would, I would venture to say that keeping it a secret is probably not what most people do, but maybe it still is, even though it's, it's something that people suffer. Does that, am I making any sense because h- help us understand why people keep yeah. it a secret still
1: because of the stigma, That's why, because I mean, and and that's why. So um, one of the things that I've learned just from talking to other people. So there were like friends that I've had for years. Right. Um, And then when I openly started talking about what was going on with my son in that situation, I had at least 10, 20 friends who had a family member with schizophrenia bipolar disorder, like that kind yeah. of thing that they didn't talk about, right? Because then there's that judgment and that stigma. And it's from even your own family and friends. So if they don't understand about mental illness and I tell somebody, okay, my son's a sk- paranoid schizophrenic and they don't understand anything, they are probably a- will be afraid of my child. You know what I mean? So right. that um, stigma can cause you to lose your own friends, your own... Um, uh, your coworkers because they don't understand people don't want to spend time around you. And so that's the re- that's honestly the reason because of how people respond. And one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, a lot of people are quick to say, I understand how you feel, but they don't you, there is no they way can't. you can understand right. how I feel when my child is diagnosed with this illness and when my son was diagnosed, he was on track to be a heavyweight wrestler. So he was in, mm. in um, high school and um, the papers were talking about him doing really well. He probably would have gotten a scholarship. And wow. so one of the things um, that I felt that people couldn't really understand, regardless of whether they said it or not, is when my son um, was diagnosed with this illness, like my dreams for him died, right? So I wouldn't see um, some of the things other people see. Um, and I'm not saying that you can't graduate from college without, um, with the mental health challenges, because people do it all the time, right? Yeah. But you automatically will think, okay, I won't see my son um, graduate from college. I won't see that wedding that we all want, you know, to see our children have may not have those grandkids, right? This is a um, mental illness. Is, it's a hereditary, it's a gene, right? Yeah. So I have the gene also. Um, and I also have uh, two sisters. One is bipolar and one is bipolar with schizophrenic tendencies so um, you walk around telling people, "Oh yeah, this is my such and such loved one," and they have this. So, so think about that. That's why yeah. it's you know it's a secret. But the the people it shouldn't be a secret from is the family members because right. had I known this ran in my family, I would have done my research ahead of time on um, you know mental illness because so many of my family have this, which I didn't know about, mainly bipolar um, disorder. Um, But I would have done the research so that way I could have been prepared for when this happened. And even to this day, I've um, spoken to my niece because she has two daughters and I have warned her and I've said, you know, you need to learn about this, you know, the mental illness because it's a gene in our family, you have two daughters If I were you, you know, I actually took a course family to family through the NAMI, National Alliance Mental Illness. I took a Mm -hmm. course to learn about um, mental illness. And in general, um, age 20 is when mental illness uh, presents in African-American males and in females, it's around age 30. So therefore, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of time we have to kind of, you know, plan and prepare ourselves because one in five people are diagnosed with a mental illness. So most of us have somebody in our family yeah. that has some, even depression. And I was surprised to learn that depression is under the mental illness umbrella. Cause I didn't know that. Cause that's a common thing that you hear about, but depression is a mental illness. And so how many people do we know that suffer right. from depression?
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's cyclical depression, right? There's yep. it just happens. Right. It goes away, comes back. I mean, and it it does it does make things difficult. <laughs> it makes mm-hmm. it makes day to day life harder because you're not motivated to do anything. You you just right. you can't get past the block. You know right. it, it's happened to me. Um, yep. You know in regards to the stigma. I mean, let's let's also face it. I, I when you were when you talked about people kind of shying away when they were told mm-hmm. by friends that oh, I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of crazy to me. That's insane. It's not a. I mean, it's not it's not leprosy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know what? Really, that comes from a lack of knowledge and understanding. Right. Because what do you see? Because think about this, and I just thought about this too, just because we we're talking. What do you normally see in the news when it comes to somebody shooting up, you know, a school yeah. or something like that? And you know, oh, they yeah. have a mental illness. So, first thought is, oh, yeah. that person that's a schizophrenic or this, that, yeah. that's what they're going to do. And so, right. You hear more about that than you hear of the stories of people like my son who didn't have to take medication after three years, who's working, Mm -hmm. going to school full time, doing everything that the doctor said he couldn't do. And even when he became homeless, that had nothing to do with his diagnosis, had to do with a relationship that a lot of people have, which are toxic. So your choice versus anything else. So that is the lack of understanding Um, and I no longer judge that. Um, because again, I went I had to go through a course that I wouldn't have even taken if my own son wasn't diagnosed with the mental illness. I would never thought to do that.
0: Yeah, and and let's you just touched on it. I think you're reading my mind again. I I I don't know if I like this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I like that at all. But you're absolutely right. I was gonna say, I wrote it down that that Hollywood has done us no favors with this. Correct. Right. Hollywood has done us no favors. The news media has done us no favors. Um, I I just and and so, yeah, it makes a lot more sense now. But I just and again, if, if you're my friend and you're coming to me with that, I'm not scooting away from you. I'm I'm saying, hey, what can I do? Like, how can I be there for you? What do you need anything from me? Right. Being supportive. It's not a it's not a death sentence. It's not. You know, most of the time or tell me is most of the time, is it is it debilitating in in most cases or do you know?
1: In the beginning, I feel like it can be. So when my son was diagnosed, he was psychotic. So what you know what I mean? So it's like he's in the psychosis. Yeah, You could see it um he thought he was jesus and i was the virgin mary and that part was funny because i hadn't been a virgin in a long time so i always like to share that because it's just like so (laughs) fun but he literally um, thought that and i had to do an involuntary admission of him uh, uh, to put him in a mental institution and one of the problems in society is that law, and I can't remember, um, I think it came out in 1964, but if the person is over 18, then you cannot force them to get help at all. So when my son was 18, um, he started having issues, which at that time I still didn't know, right? So it presented as drug use, right? So usually with mental illness, drugs are play a part of it, because it calms down the voices in their head. So really my son didn't have a psychotic break Mm -hmm. until he was 20, Uh, but um, he needed to be in the hospital. And he actually had a psychotic break when we were in California. So we had driven home and no, it was quite clear that he needed to be in the hospital. Um, So luckily I was in the program that a lot of people um, don't know enough about. So I do want to make sure I mention again, NAMI is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. They're in almost every state. You can learn um, about every mental illness there is. They have support groups. That's how I learned about um, how to um, work with my son. Support for me. Because I was stressed mm-hmm. out. Um, and so that's NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness. But yeah, I mean, in the beginning, yeah, he needed to have that. I, I had to um, have the officers come and pick him up and take him, oh, man. Um, you know, to, you can kind of call it jail, whatever. Um, so yeah, it, is, can, it can be debilitating in the beginning, but the important thing to know is that recovery is possible because that's the part that people don't know. Yes. So after the three years, right. and I think his recovery really took um, longer than it could have taken because he wasn't accepting of it, right? So if you're not accepting that you have an yeah. illness, which most people are not, then it's gonna take you longer to get in that recovery phase and reach it. But after that, and he was working and then he had purpose in life again. You know, then it was good. So he hadn't taken medication in about six or seven years, and he didn't need to. So yes, debilitating for some, different for others.
0: So if you if you don't mind me asking, how how's your son doing today?
1: So today he is good. Um, I will say that yeah. I personally thought that once um, he was housed that it would be um, easy for him to get back on his feet because my son is college educated like i am Um, have been working since he was 15 right so um work experience great person but what happened is once he um ended up in housing then you have the stigma of when you're trying to search for a job right you have that gap in your resume so now you're dealing with other people who decides whether you're worthy of having a job or not, right? And so they see these gaps and aren't we trained to, um, you know, if you have five people that's applying for a job and you have, you know, one person that, um, you know, has this gap in his resume, but then you have these other four people who don't have that gap, then that's a big deal. Um, You're not going to get a job. Um, So for the first year and a half, after his um, after he was housed which was actually me using my retirement money because he never got help uh, from the state then it just became a whole another struggle trying to get a job, trying to get support, assistance. Um, it's like starting over again and because yeah. um, he had a record from when he was psychotic and like to think 2009, that still counts against him today um and so then you're trying to start over with a job and you have all this judgment against you and a record impacts your housing it impacts your job position so basically it would be only someone that cares enough to ask you about those things. Well, why do you have this gap in your resume? You know, why this? Why they have to care about them, be willing to invest in you and give you a chance um, to help. So the first year and a half was really hard. He's been on the job he has now for about uh, seven or eight months. Um, so he's good uh, right now.
0: Awesome. That's that's really good to hear. That. So, all right. So let's, the stigma is, is, um, is very real. And I just want to ask you kind of a two-part question here. Um, so number one, like how would, I was originally going to ask you, why is it important that we work together to eliminate the stigma, but that's pretty obvious. And so how would, how would things change if we actually started to do that? If we started collectively to reverse that stigma and and to really give people a shot in our own minds before coming to judgments, how would things change? Um, And then I have a a, a second part question for you. So first of all, how do you, how do you see things changing if we were to actually really start removing that stigma together?
1: So um, first I'm going to go back to what you said about it being obvious. I don't think it's obvious um, Mm -hmm. at all because if you've never had to think about it, um, you know you're not doing research in that, inf- you know, in that area because you've never had to. It's kind of not really obvious. You just see these people living outside, and you have these assumptions. Yeah. Um, and so, one of the things when I started my nonprofit, I had to have come up with, you know, like a plan of action. How am I going to do this thing? that, um, and, you know, and I'm just one person, um, mm-hmm. and make an impact in society and help. Um, and so uh, there was this uh, place in, um, and I wish I had looked up the name before, but I haven't thought about it in a long time. Um, but there's this organization in Texas, and they created um, a housing development for the homeless community. And they're in Texas, and I wish I could think of their name, but if you Google them. So, what they did was they created just with donations a community um, for the homeless. And they came up with um, like criteria. So, you mm-hmm. have to live in the state for a year, you cannot be on drugs, all this kind of, you know, right. typical criteria. And they built a development for um the homeless community and they gave them jobs within that community and so with at this community it was just private people donating right because you have people that are construction crews all this stuff so if you have people that are donating their services you can bring about change and one of the other Things that I've read recently is that the city of Texas has a low homeless uh, rate because one of the one of their focuses that changed is um, they became housing first. So in most of the states, you got to be off drugs first. You know, you got to have this perfect life in order to get help. Well, for them, they came up with housing first. So they're going to put you in a house whether you're an apartment pretty is probably what they're doing. And then, um, then they're going to work with you to get you the help that you need. And then they have um, relationships and contracts with employers that will allow them to work. Right. So we're going to put you in the house, Mm -hmm. help you get on your feet. Then we're going to give you a job at the same time. So, working with that stigma really helps the homeless population, because right now we're not helping and the homeless population is growing. And really it's just going to be right at our doorsteps because you cannot have a bunch of people living outside receiving no help because first of all, desperate people do desperate things. Yeah. Right. So a lot yeah. of things are being impacted. One of the things I read recently that um, I found kind of fascinating because like in my mind, I know, okay, this is not good because I do know desperate people do desperate things, but um, Starbucks has been impacted and they've had to close some of their stores uh, Mm -hmm. because the areas that they were in, like a lot of homeless people. So now you got, they're losing business, right? So it's impacting business owners um, and, and, It's going to impact all all of us one day. And I did look up this amount. Um, So we're actually paying as taxpayers Mm -hmm. about now. I don't know if this is only in Arizona. It it could have been in most states, but it's costing the taxpayer about forty two thousand dollars a year um, for a homeless individual to be out there. So we're um, contributing that. Um, And so when you look at what we're losing on in business and the economy, that's um, if we eliminated this stigma and we helped people get on their feet. Right. So what if we think so through my gap program, what I do is when they have a temporary setback, I help them pay rent. Right. Because all they need is temporary help. But when I can't help them, they lapse in the homelessness. They're out on the street, all that kind of stuff. Eventually they give up trying to find a job because that's another thing I used to think, why don't you just get a job? A lot of people think that way, right? But when my son was living in his car, I realized why they don't just get a job because who's really going to hire you when you stink possibly, you can't take a shower, you can't keep your clothes clean and that's nothing against them, but that's just the reality of the situation. So for the first month, I was really like going, pushing hard to try to help my son get a job. And after a while, I realized, well, if he gets this job, his car doesn't run. How is he going to wash his car? How is he going to do all these things that we take for granted? And he couldn't. So that's why people don't just get a job. (laughs) So um, my thing is, if we help people um, as a whole, as a society, and we have these relationships with these owners even if it's like walmart or things you know some of these small places we quick trip you know just get them in a position where they can get on their feet we're better off as a country you know society as a whole because all these people living outside that's going to be breaking into people's homes you got businesses being impacted that's kind of a big thing right now in arizona um i was just i had a podcast interview last night actually um, and so that business owner is in downtown Chandler, and he's telling me how that homeless population impacts his business, right? So,
0: yeah,
1: down I mean, it's beautiful down there, but it's like that's where a lot of homeless people live, you know, on the benches and things like that. So, he's having like needles in front of his shop on the ground and just mm. all that stuff. So, yep. there's like it impacts us as business owners and um regular everyday people,
0: yeah, but that that uh that housing first first initiative you talked about in texas that sounds like would that sounds like a viable solution mm-hmm. right get them mm-hmm. get them off the street get them stabilized right but then also by itself i can see that's not as impactful but it seems like they have crafted a network of right employers that, yeah. and and whatever other resources that are needed yep. people that are willing to help that that's what you have to do like yes. i think that's how you do that Right. Yeah, you have to
1: collaborate to make it work. Yes,
0: right. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just just off off the uh, off question here is that is that a part of your vision for D squared to get to yes. a place where where you have you can you can create that community and you can create that network?
1: Yep, it is. Even now, um, one of the things I was surprised to find out about um, a nonprofit. Which one of the things I don't know if I ever told you, but um, I didn't I didn't want to start a nonprofit. (laughs) Um, This is a thing um, where God told me to do this. And the only reason I knew it is because I was um, going to church at a time uh, at the time that this started happening with my son. I was at a new church. And so I didn't know that everybody was called to have a purpose in their life. So there's something that we have to fix. That's what we're born to do. And so, first of all, I was shocked to learn how to do that, that that was a thing, right? I didn't know it. (laughs) Then I was like, okay, well, what is my purpose? I don't even know. And Mm -hmm. so going through small groups at my church, which is Faith Christian Center in Phoenix, I learned is that thing that bothers you. Right. Somebody else could see this issue like other people can see homelessness and it's not a big deal. They are living outside. They don't really care, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not their purpose. Um, But the fact that I couldn't sleep is bothering me, not, you know, because my son. But then when I saw these other people and all this, you know, things that could be helped to, you know, we could help them and they weren't being helped then that's, that's kind of what I learned. So I really said no to God seven times and mm. then um, decided I'm gonna go ahead and do this. Um, so yes, that is my plan. Um, when I started the nonprofit, I wanted to get a business plan written. And one of the things that I've learned is that if you don't collaborate with other um, organizations, then uh, nobody actually would write a business plan for me. So I actually thought that, okay, this is my idea. So I'm just going to go get this business plan. But the way um, like grants and things are awarded, they want that collaboration, you know, that expectation. Um, Because initially I was also going hard on the transitional housing. Um, That's what I really wanted to do. We wanted to convert containers into homes um, at first. And I actually did have, a nuclear physicist on my team who was already working separately on um, like con- converting con- container homes, so she actually could have done it. Um, so we started working together, and then one of our really, one of the things that we realized, which you and I talked about before going live, is it takes money to do all that. Um, yeah. So you need, so I need to have those partners. That's going to help with those wraparound services because you don't just get off the street, put somebody in the house and then that whole mindset thing is all overnight It's great. No, you need to have counseling. Um, a lot of people will need to have like IDs replaced. So they need to have um, resources available to get back on their feet. So, yes, that was my long winded answer. No worries. Um, that is my goal is um, housing. Um I do have a doctor on my board of directors. Um, She's a mental health doctor. Um, And I do have um, another partner that we want to work on. Um, He also wants to do transitional housing. But again, you have to have that funding. And so that's the thing. So it is a goal, but you kind of have to wait and see if that's God's plan for you because it's a lot of money. I'm in year four. Why would somebody give me a whole bunch of money you know, when you have all these other organizations, large nonprofits that have transitional housing, you know, so that's something that um, that I just have to wait and see what God says. But for now, I do collaborate and I help by paying the rent for the mental health challenge when they have the setback and the homeless when they get into housing by working with case managers. So it's the case managers' clients And so they need help with that funding because it isn't covered by grants. And so then they call me. So that's how I'm able to help with the housing piece without Mm -hmm. having transitional housing. So developing those relationships. And then the doctor on my board, she has a clinic. um, And so she does counseling as well.
0: Well, the one thing I would tell you in encouragement is that um, all the organizations you just talked about, they started somewhere. Right. Yeah. They all started somewhere. They all started small, um, and I, I don't have any doubt that you can get there. I, I just, yeah. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's what 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 opportunities are going to come your way, right. but uh, I, I know I know with someone like you, I know that you can make. I just know it. I just feel that you can make it happen. So, part two of that question is um, where people are going to have to look within a little bit. And, um, so what can we do individually to chip away at that stigma? Right. It's not, it starts, it starts within, it starts with each one of us. What can we say to ourselves and what can we do to start, to start chipping out at, at away?
1: So one of the things I would say that's really huge is to support the small nonprofits you see with the boots on the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm out here and I work hard, I work a full time job and I go just as hard on my nonprofit. I'm helping in the community. I'm making a huge impact. Um, You know, when large organizations are calling me and I'm one person saying, can you help us with rent, you know, for this person? Because, you know, their hands are tied, right? Their organization. Um, So a lot of things in a nonprofit world is just like in the regular world. Everything is who you know. So first of all, it's connecting and sharing that nonprofit's information with people you know that can be a resource and then saying yes to help. So, for example, when I was telling you, OK, I need a fundraising director, I need a marketing director. There are people that know how to do these things. Right. But they don't want to work for free. Right. So what if we said yes and we help these small organizations with our gift, that's a natural talent for us, whether it's 10 hours a week or something like that, because that's not a gift for me. Like I'm the visionary, but God doesn't give you a plan that you can do by yourself. If you can do it by yourself, that means that's not the calling on your life. So um, we're going into year four. I don't have a marketing director. I don't have a fundraising director. Those are things that I need to get the D squared name out there. So I would say connecting, um nonprofits with people that you know in the community, um, supporting, sharing their information, coming to serve, that kind of thing. Because I do that for, um, I'm a connector also and really had nothing to do with this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I am just a connector. If I see somebody working on something, I'm going to automatically try to connect them with someone that could help them You know, with yeah. that situation. And that's kind of what we need to do to help, especially when you see um, smaller organizations that's making a huge impact in the community. So share does, and especially on net, um OK, so on Facebook, this drives me crazy. <laughs> um, so on Facebook, a lot of people are sharing all the negativity. Right. Um, but like when I go on there and I'm posting about like our fundraiser that we're having, because like we have a mental health awareness, blah, blah, please share. Nobody wants to share the information about the nonprofit, but we want to share all the negative stuff that's ha- happening because that's just more interesting. Right. So, you know, to to support small business owners, it doesn't even have to cost you anything to just share their information. And so that's um, one of the things that we could do as a society to help. um, Because I honestly, I didn't think that there were a lot of nonprofits like small ones making an impact. But when I started working in the um, homeless community, there's tons of us. And the majority of us work full time jobs just like I do. Right. And we're really making a difference. But we're struggling. You know, we're not getting funding you know, to be able to do more in the community. I need people to come and help me fill bags. I need organizations to, you know, to sponsor my hygiene backpack so I can continue to serve. I need people to donate like Nutrigrain bars and hygiene stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just really difficult because we're competing with these larger organizations, but yet I'm in the, I'm like boots on the ground going out in the community and doing the work. So connecting us.
0: Yep, absolutely. And, um, so we, we've, we've talked about a lot of problems. Um, I'd love to, before we kind of start making our way out, I'd love share a, share one of those success stories with us. I mean, of, of how your organization is, has really helped, um, someone in particular that, that, you know, just really needed it. Um, because it, it I'm grateful for organizations like yours because, you know, let's, let's be honest. I saw a stat recently that only 2% of nonprofit organizations are actually, actually effective at their mission.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. 2%. Mm -hmm. It's insane. And there are what 1.2 million organizations in the country um, or or something like that. But you here, you are one person on a mission (laughs) working a full-time job, Working two full-time jobs, if you count the nonprofit now, and you are you are actually with a <coughs> low amount of resources, actually bringing people to success, bringing people back from the brink. Right? Yeah. Give us a success story. Tell us.
1: So, um, in November of last year, I went to a resource fair because um, I wanted to start talking about my gap program. Um, Because when I first started this, I wasn't getting any um, case managers willing to work with me. So I'm like wanting to give away this money and help. But, you know, they're going to all the major, you know, organizations and, you know, just don't really want to work with you or get your information out. Um, So I went to the Tempe Resource Fair, which is the next city over for me. um, And I was talking about my plan and I met two men that were homeless like they were literally homeless actually it was three living in mm-hmm. their car and so with my program the one thing i don't do is i don't um give a hand out i give you a hand up so in order for yeah. us to help you you have to be working so it's not like you have this mental health challenge and you just you know lay around and do anything like that no we help those who are working right? Because that's what the goal is. And I have to be a good resource, good steward of God's money because the money comes from people that know me, right? It's not grants. It's just me asking the community, can you sign up for a recurring donation, $10, $20, whatever you want to do. That's where the funding comes from. So I met David. Um, David was homeless and David was working. And so Hmm. he asked me um, if I would help him. And I said, If you um, get a job and you can pay your monthly income, like you can pay your rent, right? Because I'm not going to help you get into an apartment and you can't afford to pay the rent. That's a waste of funds, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I told David that and I gave him my my, uh, number. And then there was another young man who became uh, homeless because he got sick with COVID and lost his um, apartment. Um, So he was living in his car. I gave both of them my number. And I wanna say it took about four months. They both called me back. They both had jobs. I connected them um, with someone to help them find housing because that's where that collaboration comes in because I don't do that Mm -hmm. part. I have a full-time job, Um, but working with the case managers, and um, found them housing. So that case manager found housing for them and I paid the rent for both of them and they moved into their place. And in fact, um, David um, is probably a person that would let you interview him if you um, wanted to interview someone who had been homeless that we helped yeah. before, um, because I actually reached out to him last month. So it's been three months. He, This man was working two jobs. It was a Walmart across the street from a Fry's, and so he worked at both of those consecutively, mm-hmm. and then um, then he ended up getting housing, and so he was working while he was homeless and just hung in there, and then um, ended up getting an apartment, and he's still in his apartment uh, today. Wow. So making that difference, and that's why I say, you know, everybody—not everybody, but a lot of people—are saying. You know, it's the government's problem. The government's... No, I'm one person who asked people to help me do this. And we have helped 56 people with rent today. And we're only three years old. I helped my first person in our second year. And again, that's just people working with me. A case manager was willing to contact me and ask for help. So that's the... And that's what I love to see is making a difference because honestly um, we grew big with our hygiene bag program, right? Because we are um, working in the parks and um, I have a youth development program and all of that. And so that's what got us on the map. So our hygiene homeless outreach program is like the biggest program. Um, But when I give somebody a hygiene bag, that's not good enough for me. So I don't want to give you a bag and then walk away. From you. So I appreciate the nonprofits that are out there because I know a lot of them that's just giving out clothing and food and things like that. But that's not the calling on my life, right? It is to help with that transitional housing. I want to give you a bag and then I want to give you some hope and then put you in the home. And you would be surprised at how hard it is to get people to work with me because I'm a small nonprofit. Right. But like mm-hmm. the integrity is different with me. And so I have like the track record, all the stuff that I'm doing. And, you know, it has yet to make a difference with when it comes to collaborating. But again, you have all these large nonprofits that's working together. They can offer housing, clothing, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah. So but I love that impact of giving somebody hope in the second chance. And now they have an apartment, you know, because I help them do that just My one little small self. So I'm really excited about
0: that. Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, you, you, you connected some dots for me a second ago. So it sounds like, it sounds like you, um, in your vetting process, in your qualification process, if you will, you, Mm -hmm. you, what you're actually giving them is you are actually giving them that light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. that wasn't there previously. In other words, your criteria is, okay, well, you you have to be working and but if you get a job, then the light comes on at the end and and you'll get there and hit me up and then we can help you really get back on your feet. Yeah,
1: because you have to be able to invest in yourself in order for me to be able to help you. Because again, this is not grant money that I, you know, share. This is just individual money, you know, people who knew me. Luckily, I've been on my job for like 20 years when I started this nonprofit. So a lot of people knew me. But I'll be honest with you, my own son had to work. So there was at one point, you know, in the park where he had kind of given up hope, right? Because he had Mm -hmm. tried and he had really tried. And then at one point he decided, you know, he doesn't want to try anymore. He even told me he didn't want to. And I was just like, well, you know, you're going to be in this park. Until you get a job, right? Because I've worked three jobs for 30 years. Like the majority of his life, I've worked three jobs. And like, I'm 56. I don't know how old I look, but I'm 56. And I don't believe that I need to work harder than somebody younger than me or older than me to take care of themselves, right? That's, you have to be responsible. So you know, if my own son had to work, everybody else, because here's the thing that's so important for me. And one of the reasons I started this, when I die, because I'm going, you know, I'm going to one day, yeah. I want my son to be able to take care of himself. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. if he's not able to do that when I die, he's going to be back on the streets and homeless. And that's why, to me, is so important to help those with a mental health challenge, right? Because, and I'll be honest with you, it it is not, um, my son is not the normal um, person. Um, You know, if you had a conversation with him now, you wouldn't even know he had schizophrenia, but that just goes to show how many people are out there that, you know, have a diagnosis we don't know about, but you know, we could just do a little bit to help them and help them stay self-sustaining. So it's important to me, especially to give hope to families so that they know, okay, your loved one really don't have to sit at home on the couch all day. If that's what I respected, I'm sorry, if that's what I expected yeah. of my son, that's all I would have gotten of him, you, you know, because it's easier for them to lay around in your house and do nothing. I expected yeah, my son cool. to work and be a contributing member of society. So I expect that of the people that we help, because if we don't, everybody's going to be living outside doing what? No, can't, we can't do that
0: hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. So you give them that, you give them that hope, right. But in the meantime, you give them, you know, hygiene bags and tools to be presentable, to be able to go get a job. Right. Is it, am I, am I, yeah. yeah, You're not saying, Hey, come see me, come see me when you get a job. You're saying, no, here's what you need. Get cleaned up, do what you got to do. You know, go just get a job and then boom, that man that's that is awesome i didn't that is phenomenal that is really yeah phenomenal.
1: and the reason with i came up with the that what you're- hygiene. Program. i was gonna say the reason i came up with the hygiene programs because i was taking my son hygiene and i'm noticing these other people are not getting any hygiene in general but some of them were working yeah. and i'm like if you're working we need to support you in that it's nobody wants to go to work smelly you know can't comb your hair and all that kind of stuff right so you're right that's the reason behind it we want to give them dignity so we actually call our hygiene bags dignity bags because that's what we're giving you
0: wow that's awesome that is awesome but but the the cool thing about it is that you are when there was no way, seemingly, in their eyes, right? This right. park is my life forever. This is There is no hope. I'm I'm crawling to get to the top and I can't get. No. Wante comes in and says, no, no. I have a way for you. I am paving this way for you because I care, right? And all you mm-hmm. have to do is this. I will help you give you the tools you need to get this one thing you need to get. Come see me and we'll help you get there the rest of the way, right? Yeah, That's, sort of like is, that. That is phenomenal. Yes. I, <laughs> somewhat. I mean,
1: well, um, yeah, I, just I know have there's to, more to I, it, I, but, I mean, to, the
0: truth is you,
1: well, I just want to qualify it by saying that. So the clients I help on the program, the majority of them come through their case managers. So me meeting with them, like those in the, at that resource fair, that, um, So another case manager that knew I was there brought them to me. But in general, what happens is I go through the case managers and they contact me, right? Because they can verify it's their clients. So they can do the income, the background, like all that type of stuff because I have a full-time job and I don't do that. So it's not really like I'm walking around saying, come see me, blah, blah, blah. But when I was at that resource fair, because that's what it's for, you know when i meet people at resource fair mm-hmm. then i will offer that but in general it's through case managers calling me and asking me to help and then that's how i can help without doing background checks and because i'm not really in the homeless community except once or twice a month because yeah. i got a full-time job so yeah and now i will tell you that that is my goal but like I- when we get the transitional housing yes i want to be able to meet you tell you to come back and get help and yes, that's the vision.
0: Yeah, but the, at the same time, you're still you're still providing that road, even whether it's through a case manager or someone else to help them get the rest of the way. You're still doing
1: that. That's true. So,
0: God bless you for that. Um, all right. So we've we've talked about a lot, and I think uh, I think we've given a lot of people a lot of good context, and um. So, one thing that I do want to make sure we do because we're putting it out there is a couple things. First of all, if people want to learn more about your organization or mm-hmm. connect with you, how can they do that,
1: thing So, um, my website is D squared, S Q U A R E D, the number four. So, it's the number four, homeless.org. So, they can um, reach me there. Um, we also have. They can email me at volunteers at d squared for homeless dot org um, if they are interested in serving with us. Um, and those are mainly the two ways. So on my website, like you can reach okay. me through the website or through that email, volunteers at d squared for homeless dot
0: org. Okay. And speaking of volunteers, uh, I think I remember you saying to me that you you do need some help for for those with these specific talents and skills who want to give back through your organization. Tell everybody um, what you need and how they can, again, apply or or what have you.
1: So I really need a marketing director because we're going into year four and we're doing a lot in the community, So, but I need um, a way to get our information out there. So I need somebody to help me do that. Um, I need a fundraising director because Mm -hmm. raising funds is what you have to do as a nonprofit. And um, one of the things you mentioned early that I actually thought when I started this nonprofit is I'm going to start this nonprofit and people are going to be giving me this money and that kind of thing. (laughs) No, it don't work like that. We have bills to pay. I have to pay for space. I have to pay for um, like databases that people use, you know, through our programs. There's a lot of things we have to pay for. So marketing, um, and fundraising, those are the basic needs to help us take it to the next level. I, I mean, you can always use volunteers to come out and, um, you know, fill hygiene bags and things like that. But for right now, I need that skill set to help yes. us take it to the next level. And they can uh, reach me again at volunteers, the number four homeless Um Look, now I'm just tired. Now, volunteer to dsquaredforhomeless.org. Our- like, there I'm, you go. Late. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, though, because a lot of people don't know. So there are free ways that they can help us. Um, and one is if you shop on Amazon, right? So if you shop at smile.amazon.com um, and choose D Squared Homes for the Homeless as your supportive charity, then they will, Amazon actually sends us a percentage of your orders on a quarterly basis. So that's a way you can do what you normally do, mm-hmm. shop, and then you can benefit uh, you know, a nonprofit. And then mm-hmm. um, you helped me with the focus loop so they can take the survey um, and donate, um, answer the questions, this, this research questions, um, which are really short. So they can answer, earn money, and donate that to a nonprofit. So I thought that was really cool um, so those are some ways they can support us. Oh, and also um, Arizona, we're Arizona um, charitable uh, tax credit. So people in, in Arizona, if you owe money for taxes, you can donate that to a nonprofit instead oh, of cool. giving it to the man. Uh, so you can donate <laughs> up to four hundred for a single person, up to eight hundred. Um, and if you will actually see that on my website as well. Arizona um, tax credit on the homepage at the top. And you can click on that and you can donate um, to us. And then that way it'll go um, against taxes. That's not in every state, but I know that's in Arizona.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and again, reading my mind again, this is, that is the third and <laughs> final time you will do that on this interview. I, I, I'm telling you um, <laughs> just to let everybody know. Yes. D squared is, is how I met Wante, is that D squared is actually uh, a nonprofit partner with my company Focus Loop um, and in the Focus Loop app. So um, if you if you're listening to this and you wish that you could donate but don't have the extra funds, of course, we always if you have the extra funds, if you have money, please go to the website, donate straight to her. You've heard about the work she's doing and and your money will go to good use. I guarantee 100%. it. 100%. Yep. And she small organization but she's making a big impact. So definitely go give there. But uh, if you don't have the extra funds to give, if you go to your app store, uh, play store, iPhone store, whatever, and, and you want to be able to donate to her without having to come out of pocket, just go get the Focus Loop app. All right. And uh, we'll have Wante's special link in the description of the show. So if you're on your mobile phone, you tap that link and make sure you'll go to the app store, download it, but make sure you complete the download and sign up process in the in one step without deviating so that d squared gets credit and you will be able to make extra money it makes extra cash on the app and you can donate it to d squared right there in the app right so easy way to, to support d squared homes for the homeless for free without coming out of pocket so there you go shameless plug Um, But it's for a good cause. So that's why I did it.
1: (laughs) Well, I brought it up. So therefore, it wasn't really you. It was me because I like the fact but everybody doesn't have money, right? And gas is crazy. So I do like to talk about the three ways they can help without coming out of pocket because that is important. And serving time is a big thing that nonprofits need as well. Yes. So donating time because we cannot do everything that we do without volunteers.
0: That's right. So again, once again, if, if you are, if you have marketing expertise, if you have fundraising expertise for nonprofits, get in touch with Wante and um, have the conversation and, and serve.
1: Um, and they do not Wante, have to live in Arizona. I forgot to say that's that. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, our our board meetings are on Zoom.
0: Good. Okay. Yeah. No. No borders there. No blocking there. So, okay. Wante, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Um, I appreciate. Um, our relationship, I appreciate the fact that I know you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, I'm grateful, uh, again, for this friendship. And um, I really just appreciate you making the time to bring awareness to this and and to what you're doing. Thank you so much. Well, I'm
1: honored. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: You heard it, guys. And that's it for this episode, right? I hope you enjoyed it and that it brought some authentic value into your life. If nothing else, it was truly educational. Um, if you didn't hear any nuggets that were undeniably valuable to you in this episode, then something's wrong with you. And you clearly were not listening. It's just a fact, you know what I'm saying? So what now, before you go listen to another episode, share this show and help us. grow. Hey, I got to get through the rest of this friend. What are you doing? (laughs) Come on, man. So, but look, if, before you go listen to another, share this show. Okay. If not, not for me, just to help grow the show, but to bring more awareness to this cause. It is important, and we need to start chipping away at that stigma. It's got to go, all right? It's easy, and you'll be doing good for somebody else. After that, leave us a nice review. No laughing, Wante. I got to get through this, all right? Leave us a nice review so that you can, we can grow the show and inspire the masses, right? Remember, you cannot become undeniable if you are uninformed. So make sure you always bless up mine and I'm out.